Hi, this is Dave Shu. For those of you who don't know, I'm a family physician, and once a week I do a podcast called Medical Dads with my co-host, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician from Ottawa, Ontario. Stu and I talk about all things parenting, from the ridiculous to the sublime. So check it out and make it part of your week. Now available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Because we live downtown, so we so he took me there. And I remember, like, I still remember the taste of pizza the first time I tried it. And I could never find that taste again, even though I eat pizza all the time. Hi, welcome to Unique Stories, a podcast where we talk to people about the stories that make up their lives, where they've been, what they've done, where they're heading, and more. I'm your host, David Shu. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome back to our show. Today, I'm with my special guest, Mrs. Yolanda Zhang. She's the founder and director of Girls Strong and Panda Mandarin, her own Chinese school that she started a few years back. Yolanda, it's great to have you on our show. Great to be here, Dave. So the topic of this show is going to be a little bit different because Yolanda has been on podcasts before and she's been in the media sometimes, like she's promoting her school, promoting her programs. But today we're going to talk about something a little bit more personal because people who know me know that I'm interested in people's journey to Canada and people's journey through being an immigrant. And I thought Yolanda would be a really good person to talk to because she has a very unique story of coming here, not when she was a baby, and, but actually when she was around 10 or 11 years old, right? And I wanted to get her insight on what it's like to be a new immigrant to Canada at that age and what the learning curve is and what are the trials and tribulations she faced coming here. So maybe you can just fill the audience in with like a quick blurb about like your overall story, you know, like when you came to Canada and how old you were and just some of those details and then we'll get into the, get into the minutia of it. Sure. Um, so I actually moved around a lot as a child mm -hmm. and the last big move was when I was around 10 and a half where my dad had already been in Canada for about a year doing his post doctorate doctoral and my mom and I decided to join him in Toronto so I so we came here in 1990 um and then I haven't moved since then so that actually was the um, point of stability for me, um, okay. immigrating to Canada. Right. And you guys were from China originally. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning because there is this other part about your, cause you sent me some stuff about your actual life journey. And there was some stuff in the very, very beginning that I found interesting. So when you grew up in China, you didn't live with your parents for the whole time. Right. So there was some transition around that also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know all the kind of like historical facts mm -hmm. about what was happening like politically in China. But I know that, you know, with the, um, I think it's called the great leap forward. A lot of, a lot of teenagers were, who lived in the city were sent to work in rural areas. Right. One of Mao Zedong's schemes to uh, push the country ahead. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So again, like, I don't know, I don't really know. I'm not really too familiar with all the details of like the political mm -hmm. milestones, but, but basically my mom ended up um, moving away from Tianjin, which is where she's from when she was only, I think 17, 16 or 17, like very young, like high school mm -hmm. to work in um, a village. And she's like a city girl, you know, mm -hmm. bonafide city girl, never even had to like grow anything really. Um, other than maybe house plants, and so she was like taken away from her family, and she was she was there, and then they were, I guess, people who were really good at what they were doing, and they saw potential, um, were given a chance to go to university. So mm -hmm. then she wasn't able to return back to Tianjin, and went to a university um, in Harbin, which is actually where where I was born. Um, and she became a pediatrician and that's where she met my dad. So because they were both kind of away from family, um, when I was born, they didn't really have any support network 
for raising me. And my dad at the time was, um, like he had a lot, I guess he was seen as someone with a lot of potential. So he was like in a master's program and was very highly, like he was highly valued um, by his department. He was doing cancer research. Um, so then it was a hard decision for my parents to actually send me to my grandparents in Tianjin, where, where my mom is from, when I was only four months old. So then I grew up with my grandparents. And back then the transportation you know, system wasn't really well developed. So it would take like 30, 35 hours to go between the two cities. Wow. So I really basically never really saw my parents. I mean, I didn't really know mm-hmm. what they, who they were. Right. Until I was three and a half. And that's when they um, picked me up from my grandparents' place to go back to Harbin. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have this thing because growing up here as a Chinese Canadian, when people tell me about China, I have this mental image of the map of China. Mm-hmm. And then people and then if I ask per, people like one more question, like, well, where in China are you from? And then they start giving me names of cities like Tianjin and Harbin. I'm completely out of my element. Like I have no concept of where any of these are. So I looked it up for you and I can see that they're all like in the Northeast part of China, right? Yeah. But they don't look that far apart. So when you tell me that it took 30 something hours to go from one place to the next, that sounds insane. That's back in the 1980s though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean now it's like very short. You can fly. The trains are amazing. Like the train system in China is really incredible. Right. So now, right. But like back in the 1980s, it's really it's a big deal. To, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It's really far. Right. Like I, like my parents might as well as lived in Canada at the time. <laughs> like I wouldn't know. I just thought, oh, they're like right. so far away. Right. But of course, when I grew up, I realized, oh, like they're both in the Northeast, <laughs> um, like, qua- you know, quadrant of China. But it didn't seem like that when I was little. So then when you started to, you got to about age three and a half, you went back to live with your parents. And I'm assuming three and a half is when most of us start to have like sentient memories. Like we kind of remember our life from that point on, at least in bits and pieces, right? Yeah. So what, what is Harbin like at this point? Um, or what do you remember about it? So I remember like it was a really traumatic experience for me mm. to move from Tianjin to Harbin um, because my parents were essentially strangers to me. I'm like, why did this happen? You know, and Tianjin was a lot more developed okay. as a city than Harbin was. Okay. So kind of like that leapfrog analogy. Of course, by the time I left Harbin, Harbin was really developed. Right. Um, and so what I remember is that um, Harbin was where we lived in Harbin was really not very modern, you no, know, mm-hmm. compared to where my grandparents lived in Tianjin, like living standards. What does that mean? Like, I have this idea of like, whenever people tell me that they grew up in China around the time of the Great Leap Forward, I, I th- have these mental images of like dusty roads, people wearing like, I don't know, very unfashionable clothing and maybe they have like one little appliance to cook rice in their house. Like these are all just fabricated ideas I have as a Westerner. Like what's it actually feel like? Okay. I'm going to look up great leap forward. Cause I'm pretty sure I didn't grow up during the great leap you, forward. You no, <laughs> Mao had it's died actually from by the time you grew up. 1958 to 1962. <laughs> so, okay. So my parents did. So that's what happened, mm-hmm. you know, with my parents. Um, so what I could remember I mean, my, my dad worked in the university. He mm-hmm. was like a professor in the university. Okay. So I kind of grew up around a lot of like academics. Intellectuals. Yeah. It's like a different kind of maybe environment than a lot of people. So I basically play in the university. My, a lot of his students um, were like my babysitters. And like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a different, I think it's a different environment. Um, and a lot of the people that we lived around were either uh, employees at the university or they worked and they did something mm-hmm. nearby. But I just remember like our, like our house um, in Harbin just wasn't really like modern. It didn't have like 
its own bathroom. We had to go to a separate bathroom. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't as comfortable as mm -hmm. it was at my grandparents' house. Right. And, and I think it's also got to do with the fact that, you know, my mom was a pediatrician. My dad was essentially like a, um, a scholar, like they were not like business people that, you know, made a lot of money. That wasn't really the focus. Mm -hmm. So we kind of just like lived however we lived. So it wasn't the same. Um, yeah, but I'm sure there were people that lived in like a lot more comfortable situ situations or lived in luxury, but I didn't, right. we didn't. This is, but this is China in the early 1980s. So even their standard of luxury would not be necessarily how we think of it today. I guess so. But like, you know, my grandparents um, lived in an apartment building that was, you know, it had like heating, it had its own bathroom, like private mm -hmm. bathroom, it's kitchen. So it was like a really different setting for so this is your grandparents are your mom's side where's yeah. your where's your dad actually from in china oh so my dad actually was like a farm boy you know okay. he he grew up in the village you know he's the first person in his entire family to go beyond like middle school hmm. and definitely the first to go you know to university let alone mm -hmm. you know go abroad um to study so he's really smart like mm -hmm. he was he was like his potential was seen like really early he was mm -hmm. just really smart but he grew up on the farms he would like that's what he did he um he helped his parents with farming so my grandfather my grandmother died when my mom when my dad was still in university so my mom never even met her mm. and my grandfather on my father's side died just a few months before I was born. So okay. I never met my grandparents on my dad's mm -hmm. side. Okay. And then so now, your grand, now your father is a scholar. What, what's he actually studying? Like what's his actual field? It was nutritional sciences, but focused on cancer. So he was researching a lot about what kind of food caused cancer. Okay. So you definitely come from this science heavy background at that point. Me or my dad? Well, you, I guess. Me, your yeah. Parents are both in Very. medicine and science at that point. So now you're you're in Harbin for a few more years until until the late 1980s, right? And then I guess at some point your dad leaves to go to North America without you guys. Well, actually, he left in 1986 to go to Japan. Okay. To continue with his some kind of research, like so, his university sent him to a university in Japan mm. to continue with some studies or research. So he was in Japan for, I think, six months. Mm. So yeah. then you and were with your mom and just her for a, for a while. Well, my, my grandfather came actually for six okay. months to help. Okay. So people are moving in and out of your life periodically at this point. Yeah. Your, your dad goes to Japan. Then does he come back for a prolonged period before? going to North America or yeah he came back for another three years or two and a half years and then mm -hmm. in 1989 he went to Calgary okay when he at this point he must be in his mid-30s when this is happening yeah what's the what's the reason of wanting to go like it sounds like he's doing all these things and he's pushing his career forward and achieving various like scholarly milestones but what's the motivation for you guys as a family or for him especially? I feel like he should be on this interview. I don't really know all the details now. I mean, like, like what the reasons were, but I know that he won this like really big award, mm. like a not like an international award for mm. scientists for some discovery. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like a big deal, like well, a huge deal. This is one of the things that I always wonder about as being an from coming from an Asian family and having no idea what my parents felt or went through, essentially. I feel like we always are in a bit of a black box and trying to piece that together after yeah. the fact. And then a lot of times they never want to talk to us about this stuff once we get to a certain point. Or if they attempt to talk to us, it's in a really hackneyed way that, the, that as their children, we start rolling our eyes because we don't really believe what they're saying anyways. Yeah. 
I feel like it would be funny for me to replay this interview to him. And then he'll be like, what are <laughs> you talking funny. about? That is totally not what happened. Yes, because we, we just interpret things our, our way as children. Yeah. But let's fast forward a little bit to this whole business of coming to Canada. So he leaves uh -huh. to go to Canada. At that point, you and your mom are thinking this is like a short-term thing. Is this going to be a long-term thing? Like what, what's going on in, in terms of what you think the future is going to hold? Or is it all nebulous? So I think at that time, my dad's plan was to come back after mm -hmm. finishing his postdoctoral. He was going to come back maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and then he talked to my mom. My mom is definitely more of the visionary in the family. Mm. I think my dad is more like, like he just does whatever. Um, so my mom did talk to my dad about how it would be much better for me, like a future for me, mm -hmm. if we weren't in China, because mm -hmm. at that time, and maybe now too, I don't know, I haven't been, you know, in China for like 30 years. So I have no idea. I mean, I haven't lived in China for 30 years. Um, so my mom was really worried that I wasn't going to get into a really good school for, um, junior high and you know in china like schools are i mean here too but like schools are like really important mm -hmm. and even though i was doing really well in school like i was like top in my grade like which is um really hard to get mm -hmm. but my mom is like but you're still not gonna get to go to the top school in the city for mm -hmm. middle school because we have no connections because mm -hmm. they're just like regular you know workers we don't have people in the government or whatever. So my mom was really worried about my future. And she said, and if you don't get to into a good middle school, you're not going to get into a good high school. And right. It's, like, it's what a, are you going to do? It's a cataclysmic right? chain of events that's about to unfold. Yeah, exactly. And like anxiety, I'm sure. Right. So, so because of that, you know, she said it might be better for my dad to stay in Calgary and apply for like a visa or some kind of like mm -hmm. extend his visa. Right. Um, and, and we can apply for a visitor's visa to come mm -hmm. and see if there's a chance to immigrate. Cause right. at that time it's not sure that you can, but she thought it was worth a try at least. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I think, I think that is a pretty accurate, uh, description of what happened because I've heard this many times from my parents about, right. you know, sacrificing kind of like what their life would have been like in China right. and why they wanted to come here. Right. And I think I do remember like my mom being really stressed out about school, like about my school. Right. Um, but I did not want to come here. Okay. Like that was a, for me, it was like, Oh my God, I'm not moving again. Like, <laughs> There's no way I'm moving again. <laughs> so you were in grade what at that point? You're three. about to so in grade three, like you have some friends, you have a community of people that you're used to. What how did you react when they told you this and you're really unhappy about it? Like, did you I'm assuming you didn't get a vote because this no. is mainland China after all. And my parents. So yeah, <laughs> no vote. My mom just said, This is what we're doing. And then she said, but before we go to Canada, you will get to stay with your grandparents for a few months while my mom mm -hmm. is dealing with all the passport visa stuff because mm -hmm. she will have to go to a lot of places to apply. And so she doesn't want, because I was in grade three, so she doesn't want me to be um, neglected. Mm -hmm. So she said, okay, I know you don't want to go to Canada, but how about before you go, <laughs> before we go to Canada, you get to stay for a little while with your um, grandparents. Right. And that was amazing because I never wanted to live with my parents. I always just want to find <laughs> ways to go back to my, to my, to see my grandparents. Right. Um, so that was a good peace offering, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, but I was really upset. Like this, I did not like a lot of kids at that time, you know, in the 1990s have this vision of what North America, Canada, or the US is like, and they all want to go there. You know, mm -hmm. they think it's like the land of like candy and yeah, the streets voice. are paved in gold and everything yeah. like that. Kids don't care about gold, but we definitely thought about <laughs> toys and candy. Whereas, like, I just wanted to be with my grandparents and I didn't want to move even further away, you know, because mm -hmm. Harbin was like far enough. 
but now I'm going to move even further away. So that was like a huge, um, it, it was not a good, happy time for me. Did, do you remember at that time, if anyone ever said, you know, we'll come back, we'll come back to visit, or was this really like, we're going to shut that door behind us as we leave and you're not going to really be able to come back? Oh no. They always said, we'll come back. Mm-hmm. My parents. Okay. Cause could you imagine how upset, how much more upset I would be if they said, Oh, we're leaving. You're never coming back. <laughs> but at that time, some families did leave and choose almost to never come back. Or the comeback point would be like, well, maybe come back in 10 years, right? Like there wasn't this, especially sometimes with the financial side of it, some parents were like, you know, we're, we're going to leave, but we really aren't likely to be able to afford to come back, even to visit for a while, right? But it sounds like yeah. you were not exactly in that situation. Well, that ended up being the reality though, but they never told me. <laughs> oh, I see. Like we, the, the first time we went back to China was when I was 16. Mm-hmm. So that's six years later. Right, right. So now we're getting close to the point of leaving. So now it, you, you came to Canada in 1990, right? So 1989 is like Tiananmen Square, like uh, student protests. Did that factor into this at all? Your parents are like scholarly, intellectual class. And that mm-hmm. was the class of people that was extremely unhappy at that time. Right. I don't remember, like, I mean, I definitely remember that happening, mm-hmm. you know, like Tiananmen Square. I remember my mom getting all of our bed sheets, taking all of our bed sheets for protesting because they were writing signs on oh. bed sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, right because Tiananmen Square protests weren't just in Beijing students it was everywhere. all around the country were protesting the same thing simultaneously yeah. after a while so I remember that and I remember my dad being worried because he was in Canada and I remember my dad being worried about her safety mm-hmm. I don't remember what I was doing though I definitely was not part of the protest No, but, but my grandfather but, was there hmm. taking care of me because my dad no my grandmother well, somebody, one of my grandparents came again because mm-hmm. my dad was in Canada. But I do remember my mom being very angry and upset mm-hmm. about the, stu- like, the students, you know, students getting hurt. And um, she's, she's a very righteous person. So she just felt really angry about that. Mm-hmm. And then she would like take these bed sheets and like go and make signs and protest. Mm-hmm. But I don't, and I remember my dad not feeling, like, feeling really worried because he wasn't there. He was in Canada. Mm -hmm. He was feeling worried about her safety. Mm -hmm. I remember that part, but I don't remember much else. Okay. I mean, I guess that would have been about a year before you actually left. So if we jump ahead to you actually coming to Canada, what do you actually remember about the journey itself? Oh, actually, I remember that the journey quite clearly because my flight got canceled okay so we're in beijing you know we already said bye to all of our family and friends we're in the airport and then we find out that the flight is canceled um so my mom of course was worried that maybe they're not going to let us go Mm -hmm. like they're not they're not going to let anyone leave she was she was always very worried about like not being able to leave. I remember that was a huge worry for her that, um, cause there was definitely a lot of hoops to jump through to get the passport, to get the visa. And, you know, she dealt with all of that like on her own. Cause I was like a kid, so I didn't really know what was happening. Mm-hmm. But when they canceled the flight or something happened with the flight, she just automatically thought that we weren't going to go. So I was ecstatic. I'm like, yes, we're not going to go. This is amazing. Let's go back. You know, it's fine. It's so great. I'm so happy. And my dad will come back and it will all be great. Um, and then they put us up in this like really fancy, like four-star hotel. I still have right. pictures of it actually. Hmm. So then me and all the kids just had like the best time. I think we were there for maybe two nights, like mm-hmm. waiting for the flight to come back. And it was just like the best time. I made friends there that like um, I still kept in touch with for like wow. years and years just from that <laughs> night, like that flight cancellation. Um, so that was like actually really cool. Like, right. and then we got here and then eventually the everything was fine. And then 
they were like, oh, we're going to go the next day. And I was like, oh, I was very disappointed. But we flew here. Um, and Had you been on a plane before? No, that was the first time okay. when I was 10. Yeah. I don't remember much about the actual plane ride, though. I think I might have slept through most of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember, like, you know, my dad, of course, was so excited to see us. He hasn't seen us in a year. Mm -hmm. And my mom said that I basically cried for a month because <laughs> <laughs> I was just so upset about right. being here. Right. So it wasn't easy yeah. to be here at that point. Not for me. I mean, not for anybody, but right. I only knew my own experience. So you but, came and you guys were in Calgary at that point. No, no, Toronto. Oh, you my came dad had moved back to my dad had moved to Toronto by then. Okay. And then he had a job here. Um, he was working for the Princess Margaret Hospital, but still doing um, po like research, postdoc mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. So at, it sounded like one thing I didn't fully understand was at some point your mom was like, let's try to go. We'll get a travel visa. But at some point it went from being a travel visa to this is going to be a long-term commitment. When did it actually solidify into being a long-term commitment to wanting to immigrate for real? I think in my mom's mind, that was always a possibility, mm -hmm. but we just don't know how it's going to work out mm -hmm. because my dad, you know, was a very highly regarded professor from his university. Mm -hmm. So they might want him to come back. I mean, okay. they want him to come back. Right. So the future was not super clear, but your mom had this idea that she would want to stay and try to find a way to stay if possible. If possible. Yeah, definitely. Right. I definitely felt that was the case. Okay. What do you remember about Canada then during this period of intense emotional upset <laughs> about being stuck in Toronto? I was just more upset at my parents, actually. I wasn't, I wasn't upset at Canada, but I was really upset at my parents mm -hmm. just because I felt like it was them making all these decisions and making me like move. Right. Um, I remember, okay, so I, I guess memories work in funny ways, but like, so I remember going to like a supermarket for the first time. And it was at that time called Dominions. It's now Metro. Metro. <laughs> and I remember like looking at all the food that was wrapped in Saran wrap and thinking it was really weird. Like I just, that was something I really remembered for some reason. Cause it was like really bright. And then it was like Saran wrap and mm -hmm. lights will reflect off of the Saran wrap. And then my dad, of course, you know, wanting to welcome me, he bought these like popsicles from Dominions that were disgusting. It was like creamsicles with like sprinkles. And I actually went and I saw that they were still selling those like years later. And I remember they were so gross. And my dad was like, oh, these are the best. You should try some. <laughs> He's fully westernized already. He's eating frozen cold food. That's so unhealthy for Chinese people. Right. Well, you know, we're from Heartbean. So in Heartbean, it's actually very common to okay. eat very cold food, even in the wintertime, like cold popsicles in the mm. winter. It's like very common thing to do there. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so that's funny. Like those are the kind of key memories that I have is like going to a supermarket and then getting this disgusting popsicle that didn't <laughs> taste very good. But my dad, of course, really wanted me to try it. And then he really liked pizza. My dad really liked pizza. So mm -hmm. he took me to the pizza pizza really close to the Eaton Center. I don't know if you remember, but it's like they're, they had this giant pizza pizza with like sequins as their um, sign. Okay, okay, you're not from downtown, you wouldn't know, but like, because we live downtown. So we so he took me there. And I remember like, I still remember the taste of pizza. The first time I tried it, Right. And I could never find that taste again, even though I eat pizza all the time. <laughs> um, but it was like, it was just, that was a really cool, like, so those are kind of memories that I remember about um, when we first came here. And so it's all food related, I guess. Well, food is the gateway to the soul for many of us. I think so. Yeah. So what's your mom's situation then? Because she actually was a pediatrician. Right. Yeah. And she must have had an inkling that coming here, she might not be able to do that anymore. Right. She right. Was, how did she process that? Uh, I think for my mom, the transition is probably the hardest 
And I think it's the hardest because she internalizes everything. Mm. You know, I cry and like complain and whatever. Um, and my dad definitely talks mm -hmm. about troubles or headaches from whatever. Whereas I find my mom just tends to maybe internalize things a lot more. Mm. So I think the transition is definitely the hardest for her because she was a really great pediatrician and she was on, she was like about to be promoted to be the head of pediatrics at her hospital. So it's mm -hmm. like huge. Mm -hmm. She might have like been the youngest, you know? Um, and then, so when she came here, you know, she really, like my mom is very type A, you know, high achieving. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to not work. Right. Also because my dad like basically made no money being in right. academics. Okay. Um, so she just wanted to work and make money right away instead of like maybe take some time to learn English or um, adjust. So she, I think started, just started looking for jobs right away, but like menial work, like um, working in a cafeteria. Mm -hmm. She got fired after three days. <laughs> well, because she's never worked jobs like that right. before, you know? Right. She doesn't even do the dishes at home. Right. We like say my menial. dad did everything. We say menial, but those jobs are not always straightforward. No, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean menial like in a derogatory way. It's just like, you know, I don't know how else to describe. Like then she worked in a factory and then, you know, and my mom is somebody who has been like spoiled rotten her entire life. <laughs> First by my grandparents and then by my dad, you know, um, and so, like, it was like a, a, it was definitely a hard shift. I mean, you hear about this a lot, right? A lot of times when we think about why people immigrate to Canada or, you know, from our parents' generation, it's usually the, this, the short answer is basically three words. It's for the children, right? Yeah, so it's always for, sure. for the next generation. And it involves this idea of sacrificing the present generation. You know, all your dreams, all your hopes get channeled into the next generation, essentially. And I think this is a good example of that, right? Because yeah. she's actually giving up quite a lot to come here, right? Which tells you a lot about, yeah. you know, what life or what their feeling of life in China is at that time. That, that even though they were relatively well off, they still had this idea that it could be better somewhere else. Yeah, I think that um, like this, the way I kind of interpreted their worries is that they felt like no matter how hard you work, if you lived in China at that time, there was no hope mm -hmm. because there's no, um, unless you have connections. I heard that a lot, like connections. Oh, we don't have connections. So you're not going to go to the good school or we don't have connections. So we're not going to be able to get a house here. Mm -hmm. So it was always like feeling a sense of helplessness, you know, that, mm -hmm your there's no meritocracy you know if you mm -hmm. don't have connections mm -hmm. so i think that's why she felt that sense of urgency to create a different opportunity for me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so tell me about school what's it like coming to a new school new language new everything that sucked too <laughs> and kids can be really mean Absolutely. So, so my Chinese name is Yu. Hmm. So my last name is Zhang. Um, so my first name is Yu. Yu means feather. Um, and it's really hard for people to pronounce that. Mm -hmm. So then they would keep calling me Yu. Like, oh, you didn't go by Yolanda at that time. No, my mom. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't change my name mm -hmm. when I when we first came here. Um. So, and at that time, like kids don't have English names. Like now kids have like English names from birth. They have an English name and a Chinese name. A lot of kids in China. Yeah, some do. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. It's kind of like, you know, with my daughter, when she was born, she had an English name and a Chinese name, right? Mm -hmm. Her, both of her identities. But when I was a kid, that was not the case. Mm -hmm. So, so my, my name was, my name is you. And then so people can't pronounce that. And then they'll call me you. And then they'll be like, Hey, you. 
and some kids are really mean. So they're like making fun of me, right? Mm -hmm. They're saying, hey, you. And then I'll say yes. And they're like, oh, we're not talking to you. <laughs> and I was the new, new kid. Right. I didn't join from the beginning. So that's why I'm thinking it was October that okay. we got here. And also, I don't know if you remember this as a kid, but like, like um, there's like a divide between Northern Chinese and Southern Chinese. So like people who spoke Cantonese all felt that they were better than people who spoke Mandarin because Hong Kong is under British rule and it's richer. Like, it's like stupid stuff, but it's, it's it, not a North South divide. It's a very Hong Kong centric thing. Okay. Yeah. Hong Kong centric. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess it's Cantonese versus Mandarin more, right. more right. so. Right. right. Um, and um, so we had, I think one or two Chinese girls in my class mm -hmm. and so the teacher automatically thought oh you know you don't speak english so let's pair you up with them and they can help you so wait did you speak did you speak any english at all very very little okay so and they turned out to be like really mean you know <laughs> and they would like make fun of my clothes and mm. they're just not nice so it's kind of funny that i end up marrying like Brian. I mean, he doesn't speak Cantonese, but like, you know, like somebody from um, right. background from Hong Kong. So um, it was really traumatic. And I think it was like scarring too. Mm -hmm. But also because of my English, and I think, you know, from a very young age, I was always a bit of a perfectionist. So because I couldn't speak English perfectly, I actually just refused to speak. Mm. So I didn't speak in class for like six months yeah that's now that uncommon. i own a mandarin school i get that's called the silent period and it's mm -hmm. very common for learners of new language to go through mm -hmm. but my mom was really worried about me because i'm not a quiet person mm -hmm. i've never been a quiet kid either mm -hmm. but the teachers were telling my mom you know teacher interviews or whatever that i'm really quiet i never say anything mm -hmm. um but then funny enough, you know, after six months, my teacher's like, oh my gosh, now she can't stop talking. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it was a really rough transition, I remember. With the, with the classmates thing, how did that change? Like the ice must have melted at some point. Yeah, I think once I learned English um, and I'm able to like communicate, mm -hmm. I, I, like this is not bragging, just, fact is I make friends really easily. Mm -hmm. So after I was able to actually talk and, you know, connect with people, I just mm -hmm. made friends really easily. So mm -hmm. it didn't really become any more of an issue. But when I was going to grade seven, because um, it was a new school, my mom said, you know, why don't we find an English name for you so that you can have a fresh start and not kind of relive the people making fun of your name again. Right. So that's, that's how she found the name Yolanda. I mean, there's so much in there about, about coming to a new place and feeling very left out. At what point did you really start to feel that you fit in with your class? Or did, mm. you, or did you ever feel that way? Like some of us feel perpetually like outsiders. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if there was a turning point that I was like, okay, now I feel like I fit in mm -hmm. or I think maybe that's partly why I've become such a super connector. I think it's just because I feel like there's never enough people that you can learn from and know, mm -hmm. and you just never know what's, what might happen. So mm -hmm you know, people collect coins or collect whatever. I think I collect people. So, and I think it might have come from that time when I felt like I didn't know anyone and nobody wants to talk to me. Everybody's making fun of me. Maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. At what point did you identify yourself as being Canadian as opposed to being Chinese? At what point? I don't know. I, again, I think it's a fluid process. I feel like I always feel that, like I always feel that I'm Chinese Canadian, mm -hmm. you know, like 
I think that Chinese heritage is always a part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think identifying as a Canadian is also having a heritage background. Right. Something that's a, a little bit of a unique thing to yourself and not yeah. necessarily everyone else around you. I mean, the day that I got my Canadian passport was a big moment mm-hmm. because I had to, I mean, before that I had to go and um, go with my mom. I didn't have to study because I wasn't 18 yet. So, but go with my mom to like get her test. She was really nervous and right. she kept telling me how like, I don't have to study, like so unfair <laughs> that I don't have to study. You have to sing so that- Canada maybe. Yeah, well, I was with her and I was, you know, like saying, yeah, I don't remember. But but that was like a really momentous day. And I remember, I still remember what I wore that day, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so that's like, it was definitely a big deal. Like the passport um, made you feel included. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you are part of, you, you are part of us now. Right, right. So I think I was 17, 16 or 17 when that happened. So. If you're going to look back on it now at this process of coming across and you could talk to your younger self, what would you say to them? You know, what, in hindsight. But at what age? Like when I first came here? I guess that the, there was a period where it was really rough for you, right? So if you could revisit that moment in the time machine of when you were really going through like the hardest parts of it, yeah. what lessons would you impart to her, the younger you, or to people who are going through that stuff now, like what, what would you tell them? Mm. So the younger me is really stubborn. So I don't think there's anything really I could have said, like <laughs> that would have made her better, mm. feel better, unless I really did travel back from future, but she won't believe it anyways. So <laughs> just a stubborn, stubborn kid. Right. Um, but I'm other not saying people, you could affect change, but yeah, what would you yeah. want to tell them? Okay. Um, I guess I would want to say that this will pass. Mm -hmm. Like I promise you that this is going to pass Mm -hmm. and your life is going to get better. Mm -hmm. It's not going to last forever. And I think that's always the fear. It's like, I'm going to always feel like this now, you know, this is going to be my new reality forever. I mean, there's, that's the case in so many when people deal with difficult things, it's you think it's going to last forever. So yeah, so that's what I would say is that um, this will pass and your life will get better. Mm -hmm. And things will, things will get easier, right? It's not going to last forever. I mean, that's always the thing, like, we learn a lot from these time periods where we struggle, right? That's probably when we learn the most. Yeah, we never really want to go looking for these things to have them happen to us. But they are the periods that form us to to a large extent. For sure. I mean, sometimes I think, what kind of experiences will my daughter have, right, Mm -hmm. to shape her, I don't Mm -hmm. want to create them artificially. But at the same time, like, she doesn't really have these experiences either. Well, the immigration experience is a, is a unique one, right? Because it yeah. involves, and not everyone goes through it. And looking at my own family and having seen my parents go through it, and they're still on that journey, right? Like even now, right? Like even though we've lived here for 40 years, we don't fully feel 100% that we fit in, right? We're, there's always this chasm between, you know, where we are and what we would like things to be like. Yeah. Um, I feel like, like even for... I mean, I'm sure for you, for you, the learning curve is, must be relatively easier, right? Because you were younger when you came and you eventually picked up the language. You, your, your English is great now, right? But, you know, I imagine if your parents are anything like my parents, for them, that transition takes even longer, right? The language at some point just never fully gets learned. They, like, my parents know a little bit of English. Well, my, my mom especially, like, knows a little bit, can sort of get by, but doesn't really feel fully comfortable engaging people in English on a regular basis if she doesn't have to. And so you, you, you end up feeling like an outsider in this society forever, right? And you accept that. So, I mean, I just wonder, like, for you, that transition kind of ended and you kind of moved on. Do you feel like your parents, they 
kind of had the same thing or was it like it ended up being much, much longer for them to get comfortable here or are they comfortable here? I mean, I think overall they are comfortable here, Mm -hmm. but I think like your mom, you know, my mom, sometimes I don't get why she doesn't speak more English to people. (laughs) She always wants me to translate right? because if I'm not around, like I know she can speak okay enough to get her point across but as soon as i'm there or my dad is there she's automatically gonna just resort to um having one of us translate i think it's also because she's a perfectionist and she thinks her english is not perfect so therefore she shouldn't speak so that definitely makes it harder to really um feel at home Mm -hmm. you know in a society where the language itself is not yeah. What you're comfortable with. I feel like I think the other really hard part about that is I mean, I'm sure it's hard for whether you're introvert or extrovert, but because both my parents are very in, very extroverted, I think that creates even more of a challenge because she wants to connect, she wants to meet new people, but she stops herself because of her language. So like the inner circle of friends are ones that only speak Chinese, mm-hmm. which I know it's very common with, you know, immigrants too, but it just doesn't give her as wide, I think, a view of things. Last question I have is as a family and maybe answer on behalf of you and your family, looking back at this whole arc of coming to Canada, like, what did what do you make of the whole thing? Like, is it worth it? Do you guys ever think about what would have life been like if we hadn't come, right? Because there's this thing where your life can suddenly branch off into these two branches. One, one we know what happened and one we don't know what happened. And many people, our lives don't have this branching point, right? We just kind of trudge from one thing to the next. But in this case, you can affect the future of generations to come with this one action of choosing to move and go to a different place. And you guys obviously liked it enough that you never went back. But looking at it as a whole, like, what's your take on the whole thing? That's a really good question. It's like a sliding door question, mm-hmm. you know, if you get on the train or not get on the train. Mm-hmm. And you only um, have one chance to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I always am just, uh, this is kind of more like for me as a, a belief in life is that you make these choices and you don't look back. Because I've made a lot of choices in my life, in my career, in business, that they're all sliding door moments, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think that they made the best decision with the data that they had. And both Mm -hmm. my parents are very scientific, so I'm sure they analyzed, like, (laughs) data, pro-con list, weighted pro-con list, whatever they were doing. Um, So they made the best decision that they could have at that time. So there's no, no regrets, right? But I know that your question is different. Um, I think they do look at some of their former, you know, classmates, um, colleagues, and what they're doing and what they've been able to accomplish in China. And they stayed in China, you know, and I mean, China really took off, right? Like the economy. So, so they, they're doing great. You know, they've done really well, not having to make this huge life. Right. If they just waited another five years, things start to really change. Exactly. Like it would have been very different. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad definitely sometimes say just in conversation, not like seriously, but he would just say, you know, if we had stayed, we would actually surpass a lot of these people because of where he was in his career, where my mom was in her career, you know, and they really like just completely cut that short. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I don't think there's any, at least not for me, there's any really like active regret. Like I don't have any of that, but for my parents, I'm sure that these thoughts come across because my dad was um, one of his former colleagues invited him to do a lecture circuit in China 
you know, across, I think, different universities to talk about his research and what he's been doing, like, over all these years in Canada as well. And he saw, like, just how amazing this, like, all their lives were, you know, in China. And, you know, we're not, like, wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Like, we live comfortably, but it's not, like, the way that his friends and colleagues are in China, right? So I think there definitely is that um, regret. I feel like it's a really hard, like a tough word, but yeah, like there's seven elements of that um, for sure. Doubt maybe, yeah, maybe elements of doubt that if I didn't do this, where my, where my life would have been in China, you right. know? Right. It's just, you never know. And, and, leaving China at that time was a very unique thing because you could have looked at it either way, right? Like, like, like the Tiananmen Square thing had happened. Many people saw this country has no hope for the imminent future. So at that point, getting out seems like a great idea for many people, but then the country took off. But then at the same time, even now, there's many people choosing to leave, right? So it never really ends. And every family has to make their own personal choice based on what they know at the time and just keep plugging away afterwards. I think if Tiananmen didn't happen at that time, I don't think we would have left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was so, it just really made a lot of people lose hope in the yeah. government, you know, about what happened and lose hope for the future of their children. You know, mm-hmm. like my parents just lost hope about anything that anything right. good will happen to me. <laughs> Well, on on behalf of myself, I'm very glad that you came to Canada and that we know you and that we've been able to connect. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show and having you share your family's story. Thank you. That was really fun. Like, it was really fun to answer some of your questions like that. You made me think about things that I never thought about, you know, so it's really cool. Thanks, Dave. I'm really glad to be here. No problem.